Today's guest is Phyllis Mentali. She's a speaker, author, and co-host of the 24 Karat Conversations podcast. Today, we're discussing her first book, Unmothered, Life with a Mom That Couldn't Love Me, where she talks about growing up with a dysfunctional mother. Phyllis is helping women develop stronger mother-daughter relationships. Welcome to the show, Phyllis. Thank you so much. Good to have you. I have a question. Okay. You love sparkles, I heard. (laughs) I do. I'm a girly girl all the way. (laughs) Tell me more about that sparkle obsession. (laughs) I think I'm just a a visual. um, I love beauty. I love all feminine things. So of course, my favorite color is pink. And I have this obsession with anything that's glittery. I'm kind of like a squirrel, like somebody will be talking to me and it's like, oh, sparkles. <laughs> and yeah. it just brings me joy. So I just really, you know, anyone that knows me, if, if they see me, it's like I have a glittery ring on or glittery earrings or just some kind of a sparkle because it's fun. Oh, that's so cool. Because when I found out about this, I was like, I want to know more about that sparkle girl. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It brings me joy. So I just, I go with it. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. So let's dive into your book. Tell me or tell our listeners, what kind of kid were you growing up, Phyllis? So, um, I will describe it in the way every teacher described it when they would do those uh, reports to, <laughs> to the parents. Uh-huh. They always tell my mom, I was such a good student, but I'm a dreamer. I love to look out the window. Interesting. That best describes me and uh, why I finally found my tribe after I started writing <laughs> at this old age is I figured out that my brain thinks differently than um just probably an analytical person. I'm very creative. And so everything is a story to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how I I really tucked away, probably a good idea since I ended up writing this book, I tucked away a lot of memories and just kind of stored them away for a later date. Were you writing back then already? I started writing, I started journaling Um, probably in my teens, although I never saved all of those journals, but I remember having a diary and just writing down thoughts. Um, and it was a way of escape since there was so much, um, violence and just not good times in my house. It was, um, it was my way of daydreaming. And in my book, I talk a lot about looking out windows and just, um, trying to escape through my mind. So, yeah. Yeah. Paint a picture picture for our listener what it what it was like to grow up in such a dysfunctional household with a dysfunctional mother. Yeah. Well, one of the things I I want to preface is the book is um called Unmothered, but it's really um I say it's a love story also to show grace for my mom later on in my life to realize um you know, she did have some, uh, I believe she was bipolar and she covered it up with alcohol, which was very common in the 1960s. They didn't really even have a name 
for bipolar. They just knew women were stressed out, but they didn't really know why. And so growing up with her, it was always um, there. Every person that she was with uh, physically beat her. And then she in turn would be physical with us. And um, she was nothing was ever good enough. So she had very high highs and very low lows. So there was days when if she was baking cookies and we smelt that on the way home, we were like, okay, we'd walk through the door. We would smell the cookies. We're like, okay, she's in a calm mood. We would have to pretend like, um, let's just make sure we don't like mess this up. And uh, it could switch on a dime. If you spilt milk or something, it was disastrous. And then she would just go down the dark hole. And then there was other days we'd come home and she had the whole house torn apart. And it was like, it's not good enough. We have to clean everything all over, but we had just cleaned the day before. So it was very um, unstable. And so I grew up with a lot of anxiety and just a lot of fear. And so I also learned how to, I was the peacekeeper of the family. (laughs) So I learned how to um, try to calm her down and just reason with her. And I think that was just innately in me, um, very intuitive and just picking up on her emotions. So I tried to find ways to, to calm her and, and just settle everybody where we could just get back to a place of, um, not quite peace, but as peaceful as we could be. So were you the oldest one of all of you? I think three of you, right? There was three of us and I was the middle child. I was, (laughs) I was the Jan Brady of the group. Yeah, I was kind of, you know, she relied on my brother because he was the oldest and then my sister was the baby. And so I had to take care of her and I was just somewhere in the middle. But I think um, I think a lot of middle kids are kind of the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm an only child. That's not true. I have a younger brother, but he's much younger. So we uh, have very big age gaps between an interest as well. So I'm going to say um, my sister and I are eight years apart. So there's definitely a mother child dynamic there too. So yeah, it does switch. Yeah. Yeah. Same as with my brother, he's eight years younger. So I'm like, you know, but now that we're much older, we can find parallels to talk about in, in, in our lives. Right. There becomes a common ground after a while. Yeah. Now, when you're in all of this, all three of you kids, and there's your mom that's unhinged at times, what was your dad's function? Where was your dad? So my father um, was a long-distance truck driver. So when he was home, he I was a daddy's girl. Um, so my sister is from, the book begins because my sister, my mom got pregnant by another man. So my sister is my half-sister, Um, She has a different father. And so that continues on in the story. But um, my dad, when he would come home, was uh, loved us, but fought with my mother. And um, so they were always at, at odds with each other and didn't agree on parenting techniques, like just nothing. It was just a crazy kind of situation. But he tried to bring some joy in our lives when he was there. He was, um, I just remember having fun with him and laughing with him. And um, 
my father is actually still alive. He's going to be 94 in November. And so I take care of my dad now too. But um, he, my mom panicked when she um, found out she was pregnant by another man because uh, my sister is a different nationality. She's uh, Japanese, Filipino, and we are Portuguese. And so she couldn't pass that child off as her own. So the story in the book starts off that I came home from school at eight years old. Uh, my brother walking behind me, I was with a friend that um, lived down the street and um, I saw a moving van in front of our house. And when I walked in, I see two men carrying our couch out and I walk into our house and it's completely empty. And my mom is in a manic mood saying, we have to go, we have to go. And, and I just kept saying, where's my dad? What are we doing? And basically what she did was take us and she kidnapped us is the best way I can describe it. Even though it was into the next town, it was a time where there was no computers, no, no cell phones, nothing like that, where you could trace anyone. So she took us and moved in with my sister's father because she was pregnant. And um, my dad came home to an empty house and it took him three months to find us because he still had to continue working. Um, and he just kept asking all the neighbors and asking around, you know, what did the truck look like? Like, when did they leave? And he eventually found us and we had him sporadically in our lives um, because he, he drove long distance truck. He was gone for months at a time sometimes. So. Wow, that must have been so traumatic to just have everything uprooted suddenly, not knowing yeah, it how. Was, uh, you know, at the time, I didn't really even know what trauma was. And years later, um, I had a friend who was a counselor and she said, you, you've had trauma. And I, you know, you don't realize it when you're in it. You just think, well, this is my life. Wow. <laughs> um, and then you realize later, like, oh yeah, I was traumatized and little PTSD there. It's very, very traumatic when you're eight years old and your whole life suddenly changes. And then nine months later, there's a new child yep. in the mix. And um, it's just, yeah, it's very, very stirring. So looking back, it's like, well, no wonder I had all these issues. <laughs> so Phyllis, when did you notice first that your mom didn't love you and how did that manifest itself? So what I say is, well, in the subtitle, I says a mom who couldn't love me. So I do know my mom loved me, but what happened was um, she wasn't capable. Years later, I figured out my mother was actually unmothered. My mom was taken away from her mom at nine years old. And so that's really the core of the story is um, breaking generational dysfunction. And so I, I knew my mom, there was times when my mom was very sweet. And I do add that in the book that um, she taught me how to knit. She um, was very nurturing at times, but there was a limit to her love. And she didn't know how to give unconditional love. She, everything she felt like, we constantly had to prove our love to her. There just was no trust there as a mother. And so um, as a young child, it was really confusing because there were times I thought, well, why doesn't she love me? Why does she keep saying these horrible things to me? As an adult, I realized that she was stunted in, in her um, 
in her walk of, of uh, learning how to become a compassionate and uncompromising mother. It's like you, those are things that you really need to work on when you become a mom is it has to be very unselfish. And um, she didn't know how to do that. And so uh, she was just very limited in her love. So I wouldn't say she didn't love me. It's that she couldn't. Would you give an example of this, this give and take? Um, there were times when she would do really sweet things and then it was sort of like, well, you owe me this because I gave birth to you. <laughs> she would make comments like that and you would think, hmm, <laughs> well, okay. to be born in this. I don't know. I don't understand that, you know? And so she would just make comments, you know, that, well, I did this for you. So now you have to do this for me. Or I'm being nice to you, and so now you should be able to help me in this area. And it was just always these compromises of give and take. There was never any, I just love you, and that's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the perfect example is, um, you know, she'd be making the cookies, and we would be like, great, we're going to have nice warm cookies after school. This is awesome. She would give us a glass of milk with it, and you know, we would spill some of the milk and she would say, you did that on purpose. Um, you're not, you're being so ungrateful. You know, it was just like these things that had ties to it. It was never just, you know, these complete wonderful movements, you know, it was just always something had an attachment to it. And so you just never knew when the ball was going to drop. Interesting. Wow. That's tough to live under these circumstances. You really feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time. Definitely. Yeah. It was, it was definitely, uh, and that's why I say there was just a lot of anxiety. I didn't even realize that I had. And, um, and I deal with that now a little bit of anxiousness. I, I know where it comes from. So I can, um, I do a lot of just deep breathing and meditations. And sometimes I just give myself a day to just be kind of melancholy. And, and then I tell myself, okay, you had a day now you got to get out of that because it's very easy to slip into a dark pit. So speaking of getting out, so you, when did you leave your home and where did you go from there? So I, well, I left my mother's home at, um, Close to 17 years old, I just got fed up with a lot of the stuff that was going on. And I figured out that she couldn't really hold me back. And so I asked to move in with my father and he agreed. And it was twofold because I was very rebellious at that point and just kind of hating the world. And so I went down a dark path of doing pretty much everything horrible you could think of and um, you know, ended up with uh, doing a lot of drugs and being with the wrong men and just um, kind of losing my way. And I got away from my mom, but it was like my dad didn't really know how to raise a girl. So he kind of was letting me run wild. And then he would say, okay, you need to come home. Like you can't, you can't be out all night and I'm going to ground you for a day. And he just didn't really know what to do with me. And God bless him. Like he really took me under his wing, but he probably didn't do a great job as a dad (laughs) in that area. But, um, but he tried. And so it took me um, a few, few, quite a few of my 20s uh, to get through some things. And then unfortunately, I entered into a 
bad marriage. And, um, it was just kind of a, uh, emotionally dense, I will say mm-hmm. in the process, um, we were separated and I found out I was pregnant. And so, um, we had our baby boy and then my son was born with congenital heart disease. And so he ended up having surgery at three days old and he only lived for two weeks. And that became a changing point in my life where I thought I, I thought I was going to be a mom finally, and I was going to try to be the best mom I could. And at 26 years old, um, God had different plans. <laughs> so I sat there and just sort of reevaluated my life and thought, well, you know, I'm kind of heading down the same path as my mother. And so um, I have to figure out how to do this differently and really, um, you know, do some different habits of what I've learned. And I kind of went on a journey and just started figuring out how to change different things in my life. How did and, you figure how did you figure that out, Phyllis? Um, you know, I I left, I walked out of my marriage with nothing. I didn't have a job because I thought I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And so I actually called a friend and I said, I have nowhere to stay and I need a job. And she said, You can sleep on my couch. And I have um I'm at this job now where they're looking for more people to work in the office. And please come in and apply. And I'm pretty sure you could get it. And I did get that job. And I needed to be by myself for the first time in my life. I just started listening to this small, still voice in my soul saying, you know, figure out who you are first before you tie on to somebody else again. And that was pretty hard because I wasn't comfortable with myself. And so I remember when I got my first apartment, um, many nights just sitting on the floor trying to figure out, well, what is it that I want out of life? And if I did find a partner again, what would I want? What would be the pros and cons of that relationship? And what do I really want to look for to make my life different? And so I started making lists and I just started writing down, you know, what does my future look like? What would my future husband look like? And really, I think just affirmations, you know, that that's what they were. (laughs) I just knew that I, I had to just start finding different ways. Of, I, I kept trying to make people make me happy, but really you're the one that has to make yourself happy. And then someone comes along and is a partner with you. Yeah. Is this the time when you became a Christian? No. So amazingly enough, mm-hmm. didn't happen until, so I, I did meet my now husband that I've been together with for 30 years and I met him uh, later on the next year and we dated for four years because I just wanted to make sure. Um, So I didn't, I really didn't want to go through another divorce. And so um, we got married. We had a baby girl, very scared. I'm considered a high risk pregnancy. And so I was very worried, wanted to make sure she came out great. And she did. And then three years later, got pregnant again. And that fear came up again. And something deep inside of me said, you need to thank someone bigger than you. And so 
I started talking to a friend and she said, I have a perfect church for you. And she sent me to this church that it was a denomination I had never known before. It was a non-denominational church. I was raised a Catholic, which is awesome, but it wasn't for me. And um, I walked in there and I thought people are singing and smiling and happy and laughing. And (laughs) it was just this very joyous feeling. And um, I felt like this total peace come over my body. And I thought, oh, this is where I need to be. And I just really wanted to bless this child in my womb and thank him for what, what was already here, but what was already, what, what was coming also. Mm-hmm. So at 35 is when I became a Christian and um, my husband said, that's great for you, but I'm not doing that. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh man, like I came all this way and now I'm doing this great thing. And my husband says no. And it was kind of my first test of faith where God was like, do you trust me? I'm going to take care of your family. It's my, it's my control, not yours. And so my husband didn't come into his faith until about three and a half years later. So I went to church with my children and just like, you know, kept walking the walk. And, um, and eventually my husband came around and he um, took him a little bit longer to find his placement, but he was like, so happy. Um, Now we have kind of the same faith base. Um, I would say I'm probably still a little bit ahead of the curve of him, but it's just really great to be able, we were able to raise our girls in the same faith and, and um, help them to just find a place where they can always rely on something bigger than themselves. Yeah. So how did your faith influence your life? I mean, you touched a little bit on it, but I know you started helping other young women at church with your story. Great. So that was the best part was... Um, I would help out on these small groups. You know, every church has Wednesday night Bible studies, women's studies, that kind of thing. And so I would go and eventually after about five years, the pastor's wife said, do you want to help co-lead? And I was like, oh yeah, that'd be great. And so I actually had a few, um, I did a couple years where I had Saturday mornings at my house. I would have women over and the best part was eating. (laughs) We're like, this is just eating. We're just going to sit here and chow down. And we formed a sisterhood through that. But, you know, little by little, I started sharing my story. And it was amazing because a lot of the other women who had never talked about their past either started sharing theirs. And then when I started doing things at, um, church at night, the younger girls would come up and say, you know, Phyllis, um, can I meet you for coffee or dinner or something? Because I've had that kind of um, childhood also, and I'm struggling with my mom and I just don't know like what to do. And so we would meet and I didn't even know I was mentoring. I just thought like, oh, I'm just helping. I'm just sharing. And suddenly it was just like, more and more and more girls kept coming. And, you know, I was like, oh, wait, I think, (laughs) I think there's like a little ministry going on here. (laughs) Um, Through that, then, you know, I just felt this pull to 
um, put it in a book because there was so many women. It's like, obviously I can't keep meeting one-on-ones. And so um, from that, I just felt like, okay, it's time. But um, I just felt like God telling me, go get, go, go get educated in this world. And so I started going to writers conferences and speakers conferences and really learning the craft. And I think that was super important because you can't just rush into something like that um, and not really know what, what you're doing. And so it's been four years of doing that. And it took me a year and a half to actually write the book. Yeah, books are not written that easily from what I hear. They are not. And boy, there's a lot of tears that goes along with that too. <laughs> But is it's a it's a labor of love and i will say it was very cathartic for me to go back to those dark places and also just see where i've come from that time unbelievable and just you know such joy to know that there is hope for it doesn't really matter where you come from or what your background is is you have the choice every morning to wake up and make the change but you got to know that that change is really hard And, you know, you're going to find bumps along the way, but you got to fight for what you want. Do you feel ashamed of sharing your story? No, you know, it's so funny. That's such a good question. I used to, I used to be so scared. And I think, so this is the thing that I have figured out is that the enemy wants you to keep your secrets because that's what ties up your mind. And so if he can keep you in that place of like, Oh, if people really know who you are, they're not going to like you and you're just going to be shamed to no end. But what happens is the opposite. When you are honest about your life and you share your ugly parts, everybody has an ugly part in their life. And when you can be honest and real about that, people trust you for one and for two, then they start opening up their packages that they've been keeping as a little dark secret. And it frees you up because I'm kind of at the point now where if somebody tries to say something bad about me, I'm like, <laughs> wrote a book <laughs> in there, like come at me. I <laughs> So, you know, I don't really, you know, and I didn't put every single little thing in there, but um. I just feel like God takes beauty from ashes. Like I wholeheartedly believe that. Like he'll take your mess and make it a message. And so you don't have to be afraid. And not everyone can do that. And I'm not saying everyone should go out there and blast it to the world. But like if you have an opportunity to talk to one person that is struggling with something and all of a sudden your heart tugs and says, well, I've been through that. Maybe I could walk through that with them and just tell them if nothing else, um, I can sit here with you and I can feel you because I've, I've gone through that too. That is a huge thing to help even one person in this world to get to a place of understanding that they're okay. They're going to be okay. Yeah. What triggered the reconnection with your mom? Well, so I was, um, I had just had my first daughter and, um, I hadn't really been talking to her. I knew she lived in town, but she was still drinking and everything. And, um, the hospital called me one day and said she had been brought in, um, with a broken hip. She had fallen 
And of all the three kids, she told them to call me. Of course. I didn't want to go, but at that point, I I felt that little heart tug, like, okay, it's your mom, like honor your mom. And so I went and it began this journey of just really taking care of her into her older years. And it was not easy. I really, I will honestly tell you, I screamed at God probably more times (laughs) And I care to admit of just saying like, why, why is she here? Why can't you just take her? Like she's miserable. I'm miserable. She's causing havoc on my life. And I just kept hearing him say patience and grace, patience and grace. And so I would go back and just try to just try to meet her where she was and just try to love her where she was. She was never going to be a perfect person. She was never going to give me what I needed but she knew that I wouldn't leave her. And there was a trust built between us um, that she trusted me more than the other kids because I didn't try to argue with her about every crazy thought that she had in her mind. And so I eventually, um, I took care of her. She developed dementia and I took care of her until she passed in 2007. Were you ever able to address her condition in relation to you guys? So there, you know, every time I tried to bring something up and this is what happens a lot of times with moms is that are like that or dads, um, you try to bring them to the reality of what happened and they would always say, oh, it's not that it wasn't that bad. You're making it worse than it is. You know, they can't face the reality. And I think that was the hardest part for my siblings is that they really wanted an apology or they wanted some kind of a, you know, some kind of a reconciliation and it just wasn't going to come. She couldn't face reality. And that was where I came to a place of understanding of knowing, you know, she was ill and you can't rationalize with crazy. And so um, I just didn't really try to ask for those things. I just tried to love her where she was. And, um, and I will, there's some sections where I write about, she um, really said these beautiful words to me at certain times in her life towards the end where I was shocked that she would just speak to me so nicely and just things that I knew and God knew I needed to hear. And so I think that's what brought me the peace is that at the end of the day, when I said goodbye to her, I had done everything in my heart that I needed to do as a daughter and I had boundaries set around me. I didn't let her into my family life because she always wrecked havoc, but I was able to just meet her where she was and love her where she was. And at the end, she was, she spoke words of affirmation to me that were very beautiful that touched my heart and, and God knew I needed to hear that. And so I, I feel very at peace that I did everything I was supposed to do as a daughter, but then also protecting my family. So it is a fine line. Like you have to be careful not to let toxic people, if you want to rebuild your family and have something different, you got to make sure that the toxic people don't keep coming in and destroying that. Yeah. You're the mom of two daughters. So how did that uh, past influence how you raised them? So, um, I'm a huge communicator (laughs) and, um, probably to a fault. They're like, all right, mom, enough. (laughs) But one of the things, um, I am just 
super passionate about being a mother. I, I love all that. I mean, if you want to call me a Betty Crocker mom, you can. <laughs> it's the one I, I take it proudly. I'm like, go ahead call me that. I mean, I literally would make chocolate chip cookies at the end of the day or, and one of the things my girls always laugh at is, um, Whenever they had a problem since the time they were little, it, I was, I'm a huge hot tea drinker. So I'm like, do you want mommy to make you hot tea? And we'll sit on the couch and get a blanket. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so we would fix that little boo-boo of whatever emotional thing they were going through. And I just um, really tried to um, comfort my babies. And I was also open to doing that with other kids. And so we had taken some other kids in from time to time when they were struggling. And it's like, come on over, I'll make you a meal. I love cooking. It's my thing. It's my jam. I love it. And so I just um, speak love through food, through communication. I'm a huge hugger. I, I coddle my girls and I'm also a tough mom, you know? So I, because of the past I've had, I also don't um, coddle them in their own growth. And so there were times when they were struggling, you know, in high school or, um, junior high kind of thing. And I know a lot of moms would run to the school and try to fix it. And I would just make them think, and I would just tell them, well, how do you feel about this? And what do you think? And do you want me to step in or do you think you can handle it? So part of your mother growth too, is really raising your children up to become independent thinkers so that they can maneuver their way into the world too. So yeah. I think a good balance of both. Um, I mean, they've done pretty well. <laughs> You must have been. Now, so I think she's doing okay. <laughs> must be the must have been the super mom of the hood because I'm listening to all this. I'm like, I would go to Phyllis's house too. <laughs> I mean, I have a pretty fun house. <laughs> <laughs> I would have you over for a meal. <laughs> I go for meal, cookies, everything. I'm right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're pretty fun. We like it. <laughs> Now, what are some of the lessons you learned through all this over the past years? Um, I think mostly forgiveness is a huge thing and not forgetting. It's not about like, oh, I'm just going to forget that you hurt me or something like that. But forgiveness is really about clearing your heart so that you can be a better mom if that's where you are in your life or a better person if you haven't, if you're not married yet. And I will say, um, you know, my girls saw the struggle with my mom and oftentimes they would tell me like, why do you keep letting her talk to you like that or go over there? And there were, you know, when they got old enough, they said, we don't really want to be around grandma. She gets kind of negative. And, and I gave them that out. And I said, you know, that's okay. You don't need to be, but showing them that life isn't easy and you don't, you don't get to just do the easy stuff and the fun stuff all the time. Sometimes you have to find ways to maneuver through difficult situations. And that's the thing that, um, moving forward, I'll be teaching more of that kind of stuff of six life lessons that I've learned because I think it's important to, um, let people know that even though you can honor a parent and you can, um, do all the right things, you, you still have to protect your core family and you have to do it with boundaries and, and you have to find other mama mentors mm -hmm. if you haven't grown up with a good mom. And so this, the last few years has been really about 
discovering, you know, what were the things that I did that brought me through and got me to this place where, I mean, I, I feel at peace with what I had to go through and, um, and we still have, um, there's always going to be things that you have to go through until the day you die. So it's not like you go through this one thing and that's it. So I, I think it's made me a more compassionate person for other people's, um, histories too. And, and really watching my girls grow up to be in a healthier place. Um, you know, my oldest daughter's married and now has a son and, you know, I watch her, I watch her with my grandson and I just, I'm so proud because now I get to leave a legacy of something that is really beautiful. Yeah. What would you tell other women on how to establish a better relationship with their mom or their daughter? Yeah. So I think first of all, communication is key. And also you have to take away, you got to figure out a way to talk about the hurts, but also let the hurts go. So if there's something in the past that's, binding you where you guys are both angry with each other. You got to talk about that openly and just say from here on out, like this is different starting today. Like let's figure this out. I, I had a woman recently that her daughter was getting married and she contacted me and she said, I've done everything wrong as a mom and we're just in this weird place now. And she's getting married in two weeks and I'm, my heart's broken because I don't feel like, I've given her what she needed. And I said, then go there and tell her that today. Like, don't let one more day pass by. You can always go even to your adult daughter and say, I messed up. Like I've done this wrong, but you know, you, you guys could be living for another 40 years. Do you want to continue another 40 years of the same old stuff? You know, that is my main thing every day as I wake up and I go, today's a new day. Today's a new day. And, you know, I say the wrong things to my girls and believe me, they call me out on it. (laughs) I have to go back and apologize. I'm like, I messed up. I said the wrong thing. So it's not like, you know, oh, I'm perfect. Everything's great. It's like, no, every day, if you mess up, go tell them you messed up. And if you need to make it better, and you can make it better. And if you have to set boundaries, set boundaries. Because sometimes moms, you know, like my mom was not well. And so it was never going to be 100% with her. But I could get to a place where I could keep her calm and I could be calm if we had just those places, you know, specific things set in place where we knew there's boundaries here. You know, she couldn't come to my house for holidays. It was too stressful for her. And then she would end up just causing havoc. So I would tell her, let me come over your house the day after. I'll bring you some food. We'll spend some time together. And it's just quiet and it's calm. So you have to find that thing with your child or with your mom that is common ground. And if you can do that, and if you are humble enough to say, I'm sorry, let's start from the beginning, you can, you can fix a lot of hurts. That's nice. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, Phyllis, how can people discover more about you? And of course, where can they buy your book? Well, the book is on Amazon. <laughs> and I also, I'm going to, if you want a signed copy, I am just in the process of getting that set up on my website where uh, if you would like a signed copy, then I can mail one out to you with um, a signed copy for that. 
And that is on my website, Phyllis, it's P-H-Y-L-I-S, Mantelli, M-A-N-T-E-L-L-I.com. And all my speaking engagements will be on there. Um, Book information. I have a blog um, site there and everything is there. How about Instagram and Facebook? Instagram and Facebook is attached to that. Yep. And it's the same, same name. You can find me on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. And then of course the podcast, which you talked about, my best friend and I started a podcast to support women and talk about different things and all pertaining to women. And so that's the 24 karat conversations. Awesome. Phyllis, thank you so much sharing your book, your life with our listeners And I always, like I said, I always learn something from my guests on the show. So thank you so much for being here. It was awesome. Thank you, Heike. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Phyllis. Bye. Bye.